Well, welcome back to our study in the book of Romans where we are traveling with Paul in the church at Rome from the courtroom to the living room. And to catch us up to speed and just remind us where we've been not too long ago in Romans chapter 5, we learned that we were all lumped together with Adam in sin, but that in Christ we're given solidarity because of his death and resurrection. And Romans chapter 6, discipleship has a destination. It's holiness. And Romans chapter 7, just two weeks ago, Paul experienced the human dilemma like we do. Now we come to Romans chapter 8. Finally, Romans chapter 8, we're turning a corner, and it's a glorious corner. In the courtroom, you and I were declared not guilty, and that's true. It's legal. It's binding. Think of it this way. Over in the courtroom, God filed a document that declared you not guilty. And we have a copy of the document in our hands. But you and I have been given much more than a document. Romans chapter 8 gives us the splendor of new life in Christ. Think back to the day you stood in court. You were the defendant without plea. All of eternity was hanging in the balance. The judge in his robes, he's bringing the gavel down. You shudder in fear. And then to your surprise, he says, not guilty. The media went crazy. You hugged your family. And what happened next? He also said, courtroom adjourned. He took off his robe and he came out there to meet us right on the courthouse steps. Not only did he file the paperwork that set us free, he signed all the papers so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And now he's taken us by the hand and he's walking us home, not to the place we used to live, but to a new home, his home, where we'll live out our days in his presence. Join me in Romans chapter 8. It's page 1786 in the Pew Bible. Romans chapter 8, the splendors of new life in Christ where there's no condemnation, there's Holy Spirit power, and there's an entirely new relationship between God and his people. This is much more than a legal document. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. 
God sent Jesus in a human body. And hanging on the cross, Jesus absorbed all of God's wrath. There is no more wrath left for those who belong to Jesus. Verse 2 says that the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. This is a once-for-all freedom at salvation. No condemnation, no charge against you. God doesn't have a goon squad that he's sending out there to haunt you. Let's talk more about no condemnation. This means that the punishment that would naturally follow, the punishment that would rightfully follow your sin, does not. This means that we don't live under a black cloud. God is not an accuser. Think with me in a few different languages here for just a minute. And forgive my poor pronunciation, but in Spanish, ninguna condenación, it means no condemnation. And in French, pas de condemnation, that means no condemnation. And in Latin, the language from which so many other languages come, well, I'm not going to say that because I'm not going to cuss. But think about it. In any language, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the courtroom, God legally declared you not guilty. And he will never, ever drag you back. Jesus took his wrath on the cross when he died. And God was satisfied. But let's Be real about our lives. Your neighbor might condemn you. The guy that you cut off in traffic might bring a charge against you. Some of us maybe look in the mirror and condemn ourselves. Satan will surely seek to condemn. Doubts may plague us. The past may call out to us. Conflict in relationships will come. But that is not God. John chapter 3 clearly says that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to save the world, not to condemn the world. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or where you've come from or what your native tongue is. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. We've got legal documents in one hand and we've been offered the hand of God in the other. This is a new reality and with the new comes new. And Paul now shifts to speaking to us about the Holy Spirit. And before we go further in Romans chapter 8, let's get on the same page quickly about the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, God would send his spirit for a certain time, for a certain task, to be on a person. 1 Samuel 16, the transition between King Saul to King David, and God's word says, 
the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Not in him, but upon him. But in the New Testament, God's movement took a different style, a different way. Jesus came and his followers learned to do life and ministry with God incarnate, present. So imagine how horrified they were when Jesus began to tell them about his death and his resurrection and his ascendance into heaven. As Jesus prepares them, the Gospel of John gives us that picture at the Last Supper where he's telling them, I'm going to go away, but God has provided for you. And he will send his spirit to be in you. And then Jesus said it a different way. It's actually good for you that I'm going away. So that the spirit of God will come, the counselor will come and be in you. And then in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in the believers. The Apostle Peter is this perfect picture. In the Gospel of John, he denies that he even knows Jesus. And then in Acts, he becomes this powerful witness. And because of his testimony, thousands respond to Christ. What made the difference in Peter's life? It was the Holy Spirit in him. And what will make the difference in your life and my life? It's the Holy Spirit in us. Romans 8 verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. The sinful nature keeps on entertaining sinful thoughts. And it begins to aspire after those thoughts. It begins to act on those thoughts. But the opposite is true for those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit. That person's mind begins to think about things the Spirit desires. It's the mind that leads the person's thinking that drives the person's actions. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Giving the Holy Spirit control of your mind leads to life and peace. Paul wrote about this in Galatians chapter 5, and look at this with me. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Two kinds of control in the mind, 
and two very divergent outcomes. And Paul continues his letter to church people. Verse 9. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. When the people at Rome received Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit came into them. Verse 10 says, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. It's the same for us. Verse 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Think about that one with me. It's a Friday afternoon. We're just outside Jerusalem. And they've just taken the body of Jesus down off the cross. They wrap him in burial cloths. And they lay his limp body in the tomb. No blood is flowing through his veins. No breath is moving in and out of his lungs. His heart was not beating. His muscles are becoming rigid. He's motionless, lifeless, dead. Saturday passes, nothing. But all of a sudden, on Sunday morning, something happens, this otherworldly power, and Jesus is raised back from the dead. Was it a spoken command? Was it the snap of a finger? Was it just a nod? We don't know. But here's what we do know. The power that raised him from the dead lives in you and me. Jesus was dead, and then he was alive. And that same power now dwells in all of us who believe. This is more than a document. It's more than legal declaration. This is God offering his hand to us. God with us. Verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You and I are not obligated to the sinful nature. We do, though, have an obligation to put the deeds of the sinful nature to death. And we have the power for doing this living inside us. Verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This word for children is a word that means a person who's mature enough to take on adult privileges and responsibilities in a family. 
It, it, it means that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I will be grown up. We'll become mature. We'll be more and more and more led by the Holy Spirit. And we'll be less and less and less led by our own sinful thinking. This is a process. The Holy Spirit does his work and we begin to agree with him. And as we grow, we'll more often choose what's right and we'll more often say no to what is wrong. But it's always the power of the indwelling spirit. I have told you before that with three small children, mealtimes at our house are precarious. Well, this past week, one morning, I left one child at the table with French toast and syrup while I ran off to go grab the other two. And I'll confess that right when I turned my back, I began to fear what could happen with syrup in my absence. But I got the other two, I came back to the kitchen, and there sat this neat and tidy child, breakfast eaten, no mess, no insolence, no rebellion. It was eerie. (laughs) And I said, oh, thank you for obeying mommy. And the response was, oh, mommy, you didn't tell me to stay in my seat. I'm just learning that's what I'm supposed to do. When you and I walk with the Spirit, we will learn what the Spirit of God wants. And our minds will be changed. And ever so slowly, gradually, we'll begin to think like God thinks. Maybe we'll begin to pray, oh God, would you give me your thoughts? Would you give me your words that I can bless like you would? Would you put your deeds in my hands that I could serve like you would serve? Maybe you find yourself saying, I believe that the Holy Spirit is in me, but I'm still not Sure, I know what it looks like to have my mind change, to give the spirit control of my mind. I'm going to share something from my life from more than 20 years ago. And before I do, I want to say for the record, I'm not suggesting that the spirit has not needed to grab control of my mind in 20 years. This is an example from the past, but please hear me. My mind is not finished being overtaken by God. When I was in my early 20s, I went to lots of movies. And I, quite honestly, didn't care if they were rated PG or R. So one Saturday, I meet a friend, and we sit down, and as the film unfolds on the big screen, it's becoming horrifying. It's awful. It's debaucherous. I'm flinching. I'm grabbing hold of my seat. I'm scared to death. But I lacked the maturity to just get up and walk out. Well, the movie ended. My friend and I parted ways, and I went back to my apartment afraid and jumpy. 
And at our house now with our kids, we have a rule that you can't call other people, you can't call anybody stupid. And so if we didn't have that rule, I would tell you that I was very stupid. Because listen to what I did. A few months later, another friend called me, and she and her mother were going to the movies, and it was that movie, and she said, come and go with us. And my first reaction was, that is not a movie that's fit for any mother to see. But one thing led to another, and even though I knew better, I found myself sitting in that same theater with that same movie. And I remember I was pulling my jacket up around my shoulders to protect myself. While the previews were playing, I was grabbing on and practicing how I'd defend myself against the movie. And the awful parts of that movie never came. The movie hadn't changed, but I had changed. Having put the content into my mind only once, my brain had been raped by it. The second time, I was just numb. My conscience was seared. Our brains are not toilets that we can just flush and make them clean. Our brains are much more like that trash can that Brian dragged around here a couple of weeks ago. We put garbage in and it stays with us. Now, this time in my life that I'm telling you about with this movie, obviously there were other parts of my life that were not pleasing to the Spirit of God. But I'll tell you an amazing thing happened. My life began to be transformed through the transformation of my mind. I made a commitment against movies like that. And it was really interesting. I found it was my Christian friends who would give me a hard time about it. They would accuse me of being legalistic and rigid. Well, I just want to say for the record, it is not legalism to make a covenant to keep our minds clean. The sinful mind leads to death. But the spiritual mind leads to life and peace. This text tells us we have no obligation to feed the sinful nature. But could it be that you and I are feeding it more and more and more? That we put the garbage in and then we shake that chain and it won't come loose from the garbage can and we slink around like defeated people? Maybe it's anger in your mind. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's things from the past. But think with me, if that icky movie did that much damage to my mind, can you even consider if we began to be very intentional about putting good stuff into our minds? We can train our minds to think about the things the Spirit thinks about. Reading our Bibles, listening to good, clean music, hanging out and having uplifting conversations, watching positive movies, positive TV, turning it off when there is nothing available of that nature, focusing on things that are pure and saying no to the impure. Paul tells us in Philippians 4 that we are to focus on what is true and honorable and what is right and admirable. 
And if I had said no to that movie the first time, it wouldn't have ravaged my mind and I would have been all the more ready to be an instrument in God's hand. When you and I join with the Spirit and we put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, according to verse 13, the result is life. We thrive. God took that greatest power source. He used it to raise Jesus from the dead. And then he sent him to live in us. You and I are not powerless. We can take a stand. What could it look like? Just daily, we go to God and we just say, I need your Holy Spirit empowerment to even make it through my day. Or what about when we mess up? We don't have to spiral down like we used to. We can confess our sin to God. Remember, no goon squad, no condemnation. And we can certainly look around this room and we can ask for help. We can join groups. We can pay attention to those announcements week in and week out. And we can lean into the things that the body of Christ has to offer. Do you want to walk closely with the Spirit of God? You have in your hand much more than a document. God himself has reached out to you and he's put his spirit in you. God in you. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. The judge declared you not guilty, and he adopted you. And that word in verse 14 for children was the one who's being matured. But here in verse 15, the word for children is a different one. God has adopted you as his children, and this word means born ones. It's as if he stands at Salem Hospital in the birth center and every time one of us is saved, he's there. He takes us as his own, his precious children. We don't have to grow ourselves up. The Holy Spirit is tasked with doing that. And he will do it in due time. You and I are just free to be the precious born ones of God, his kids. Tragically, in our day, the idea of dad or father is not always a positive thing. Some earthly dads were distant. Some of them abandoned our mothers. Maybe they were abusive. Maybe your dad preferred one of your siblings to you. Oh, church, I beg of you to hear, that is not our heavenly father. That is not God. No, the God of the universe loves you perfectly. He's chosen you. He delights in you. He's offered you his hand. You and I are listed in the very will of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus. And because of all those glorious things, we can cry out, Abba, Father. 
which is to cry out, Daddy, Papa. The most relational, relational of all titles. We can approach God the same way a toddler squeals when Daddy walks in the room. You call out and he's already got his ear tuned to you because you're his child. These are grand and glorious things, but perhaps we're not feeling it. Listen again to verse 16. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That just means that the Holy Spirit of God, over time, will join with our spirits and he will do the convincing. We don't have to convince ourselves. God will convince you. Throughout scripture, humanity's relationship to God is described in different ways. Creator and creation, potter and clay, shepherd and sheep, master and slave. But finally, we've come to the pinnacle of all descriptions, father and child. We have in our hands more than a document. This is no condemnation. This is Holy Spirit power. This is an entirely new relationship with God. Not long ago, we were common criminals in the courtroom. And now, our hand in his, walking together forever. Forever.